morning's reading is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 12. It's on page 1139 of the Church Bibles. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, you have the verse, and hopefully now you will keep this. Keep it in your Bibles, or display it somewhere at home, or in the office, and share this Challenge. It's a very simple one, and yet its impact on our lives could be very significant indeed. So, this is our verse 
For the year, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Would that we could live out these three things in this coming year. And I'm sure that not only our lives, but our church and our families would be transformed. So today is Epiphany. And uh, as I was trying to explain to our good Hindu friend in the local paper shop, it's a manifestation, a disclosure, a revealing, a showing of the glory of God to Gentile people that he is the saviour of the world. And thereafter, opening our gifts, opening our lives and presenting ourselves as the Magi did. The wise men still Wise people still seek Jesus. Well, with this dawning of a new year comes often, and rightly so, I guess, a deluge of uh, resolves, fresh resolve, um, new resolutions that we might have um, narrower waistline and perhaps uh, fuller pockets. Or we look back on this year and say, and two people have said this to me already, I'm glad it's over. For a moment, I want to, uh, with the background of uh, Romans 12, verse 12, our verse for the year, with that as the background, slightly tongue-in-cheek, from this pulpit, be, if you like, the devil's advocate. Only for a moment. It's a dangerous thing to do, but I think I'm justified in doing it. And it's this. I would like to take the opposite approach today. Now, clearly, you expect something significant and comments on our verse for the year. That's absolutely right. And that will come. But the opposite approach is something like this. Here's the heading. How to miss out in 2012. Now you'll have to listen very carefully for this. And I would suggest four ways that you could do this. The first is worry a lot. Now we all worry. But it's imperative now that we worry more in 2012. After all, from our perspective, we have a lot to worry about. We are unique and with all our difficulties and problems, if people only knew the worries and the concerns we have. So, this is what you have to do. You have to start early in the morning, as soon as you wake up, focus on all the difficulties, the problems, the setbacks, the heartaches. Bring it with you from the previous day. That's very important. And intensify your anxiety as the day unfolds. After all, life is hard for you. People don't understand you. And people will never appreciate all your worries and all your heartaches. And all the bad news of your family and the sicknesses and the injustices and global warming and personal failure. I think that's a pretty good way to miss out on 2012. But add to that a mixture of two things. A mixture of regrets, because you're always looking over your shoulder. The things you should not have said, not have done, that's very important. And then add to that regret a fair mixture of resentments. 
If it's not things you've done for sure, it's things other people have done to you. And it's not fair. So that's a good start. Then secondly, fix your attention only, only on getting richer. You're rich now. Depends who you compare yourself with. We're all rich, but we must get richer. That is very important because what that does is it gives us a mindset that is much more comfortable to live out in this world. We fit into the world very nicely. We're comfortable. We're at ease with this world because we are just like everybody else. We reflect people's values in our conversation, in our worries. And definitely, put verse 12 in your Bible, but don't read it. Thirdly, and this is so important, what you have to do now is to compare yourself with others. That is a, a good way to ruin this coming year. Something like this. When you compare yourself with other people, something happens in your relationships. You sort of ricochet from people. And between these two extremes, you're not relating. Between discontent and discouragement. You've a lot to be discontented about. Life is hard for you. And you are very discouraged. You may need to keep plenty of Valium at hand, and after all, there's plenty of it about, so that will be okay. Then, finally, the fourth point, so you are to worry a lot, fix your attention only on getting richer, you're worth it. Compare yourself with others, and finally, lengthen the list of your complaints. It's long enough now, but there's more scope. Complaints are like playing the blame game. It's a bit like Monopoly. It's easy. Everybody else is to blame. That way you are sure to make your life, and sadly other people who have to live with you, much more miserable. Now, you see what I'm saying. You don't need to come to church to hear a sermon about that. That's appalling. And yet, we can fall into that snare very quickly. We can. It's because of our innate nature, the way we think, the way we relate to ourselves. These are proven time wasters. On the other hand, let's move on very quickly then. Who wants to do that? Who wants to be like that? I hope none of us. No one, no one truly aims to live within a vicious circle of all these things. So instead of these four time wasters, we could say, okay, instead of that, pray more than worry. Some, there is some legitimate worry in life. We may call it concern. However, pray more than worry. Be flexible rather than rigid and inflexible. Give more, not only of your money, but of yourself and your home and your time. 
Be content with the way God has made you. The newspapers this week are full of all these people who've got these big problems with Botex and all these other things. Be content with the way God has made you. You are you as you're intended to be. And let the oil of forgiveness and the work of the Spirit loosen your grip on these grudges. Don't justify them anymore. Repent of them and say that you are truly sorry. Well, our verse is a head-on challenge to those toxic attitudes which blight our lives and those with whom we have to live and work. So, how wonderfully refreshing then to be joyful, to be patient, to be faithful. I want now to give one, one um, illustration, and this is imperative and pivotal to the, 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 the sermon as it's changing its approach, and it's this context. Context is everything. I want to give an illustration. During um, early December, up to the third week of Advent, there was somebody around this village most of the time during twilight, going around with a claw hammer and a knife and wearing very dark clothes. Now, this is true because I witnessed this and I want to put before you three options. Okay, you've got this idea. Oh, by the way, this person was very keen to follow the route at which the children go to school in this village. A worry, isn't it? Okay, what would you do? I want you to participate with me. You have number one, phone 999 and ask for the police, perhaps an armed response, maybe. That's the first. The second, make a citizen's arrest if you've ever done that, or if you ever will. Or thirdly, live dangerously and go and talk to this person. Have you got the picture? Right. Uh, right. Give you time. I want you to put your hands up. I hope that none of you will be people who would be passive and just hide behind the curtains or walk across the road. Okay, so you can't do that. So a zero participation is not an option. Here you've got this picture. Okay? Hands up for number one. Let's have a look. We're not doing very... Come on, don't be afraid. Put your, I'm not... It's quite... Okay, I would... Keep your hands up. Keep them up. Let's have a look. Balcony is not too impressed here. Uh, right. Okay, right. that's good. Put your hands down. Right. The second one... Uh, put your hand down now. Right. Or you might want to do this in addition to phoning nine. No, you can't. Citizen's arrest. You, you cowards. All cowards you are. Uh, I'll ask the questions. You keep. Right. Your third... No, you do a rugby tackle. You don't talk to him. He's dangerous. I mean, he's got a claw hammer and a knife. Um, okay. 
Hands up all those who haven't put your hand up thus far. Right, hands down. Hands up who hasn't put his hand up at all. Right. Or her. He, she. Right. What am I saying? Does anybody want to volunteer? Why did you say, phone the police, Roger? Yes. Good. Okay. That's Roger said. It looks dangerous. You phone the police and you follow the guy. Uh, who went for the second option? Who said? Uh, oh, nobody. Okay. Right. The third option. Who did the third? Let's have a look here. Uh, did, oh, no, we don't want an elder. Let's have, a, let's have a look. Who can we? Ah, right. Michael. Okay. You're a strong man. <laughs> I think I will. Right. I think I've heard this sermon before. Was, did he arrive here? No. No, no. You haven't heard this sermon. You haven't heard the illustration. Right. Come on. Don't take any note. Right. Troy. Let's try, girl. You st- I haven't got a lot of time. The sermon uh, it will be. Right. Troy, what do you say? Natalie was saying in context. So um, if it was in context, I'd know whether it was safe to talk to them. But I probably would find out actually what was going on before I phoned the police. Right. Okay. So, right. Uh, anybody... John, you're a lawyer. Do you want to make any comment? I would have phoned 999. You'd have phoned 999. Okay. Right. (laughs) And sent him the bill, I'm sure. Okay. No, no, that's not fair. That's... Okay, thank you. Right. I know it's it's terrible when people characterize your profession. I suffer much and uh, I know all about it. So, right. The answer to this, the context, that's what we, one word, context, context, context is everything. That was me. I was going around the village. We had a pile of four by four, actually it was a double A4 leaflet and um, laminated poster And we'd made appeals from this pulpit to get them out into the village so people would know that we'd got the services and there was a pile of eight. And I waited throughout the week and I would usually come to the church around about 3, 3.30. And each time I think, I'll take two, I'll go around. And here's the problem. Because the way the poster was, you had to sort of envelop the lamppost like this. And if you have to do this, You've got nails, uh, tacks, um, all sorts of metal stuff. And the best way to make room is to get a claw hammer, just whip out these nails, and with your penknife, clip out these little, um, you know, what do you call them? Yes, the staples and stuff. And then display the poster. Now, if you didn't know that, you would have 4999 and the police would not have been happy with you. Context. Context. What we need to do now is to put our verse into context. A text without a context is a con. Here is the context. What can we say? The context is love. If you look at your Bibles, you will see the heading there. Love must be sincere because, well, there's a lot of insincere love about. 
and in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly or family love. Because families are in trouble for the lack of love. So the context is love. A Christian community void of love is neither Christian or a community. It is merely a group of people meeting together. So two questions. The first, where does this start? Well, look at verse 9. It says, be real and love. That would be a very important thing to do. Be real, the, the, the literal meaning is sincere, and what it says is, that the literal meaning, without a mask, without hypocrisy. You see, let me read verse 9. Love must be sincere. In other words, don't let love be insincere. Don't let love be hypocritical. Don't let love be wearing a mask. What's in it for me? And we can easily slot into that. So in other words, love without pretending. Be sincere. And then verse 10. Be relational and love. Be relational and love. Brotherly love. Family love. Family can give you the most um, sense of joy and belonging and often the opposite. In some churches, the one I grew up in particularly, when they would meet each other and greet each other, they'd say, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. And it was their way of saying, we belong. We are part of God's family. Be relational. So, verse 10, be devoted to one another in family love. Honor one another above yourselves. There are some people for me to honour them above myself is not too difficult. For others, it's very hard. That's not the point, though, is it? If it's family love. And thirdly, the context of this is be receptive and love. Be receptive and love. Maintain your spiritual fervour. Be sure that you are serving Jesus, not the church or the leadership. It's him. It's about him, not about you or me. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Well, that's the context. That's where we start. Now, one other question. Uh, how do we continue? Maybe we're good starters, but bad finishers. Or we contract out on the way. Well, here, yeah, that's where now finally we come to verse 12, our verse for the year. It's three statements, so let's look at these three things together. Be joyful, and the context in hope. Implicit, future hope, being secure. So, if we could put it like this. Be joyful, cultivate greater spontaneity. You and I, this year, let's resolve to do that. Perhaps I want to be a bit more spontaneous in the way I speak to people, the way I relate to my family, the way I try to understand the younger generation, where I work, where I live. Have a sense of spontaneity. Because the opposite 
The opposite to spontaneity is being unresponsive to joy. It comes to you and you make no response. Be joyful in hope. Cultivate this. Choose to do this. Cultivate this. The early church at this time of writing had, a, had good reason not to hope. They were a pilloried, marginalized group of people. And many of the historic accounts of Rome meant that to be a Christian was a dangerous thing. I was reading the, the, the paper yesterday. Just listen to this. Six killed in a church shooting. Gunmen stormed a church in northern Nigeria where John and Abby um, are couples linked to this church are working. The pastor says this, I was leading the congregation in prayer, Pastor Yono Jura, of the church is called the Deeper Life Christian Ministry in the city of Gom. Our eyes were closed when some gunmen stormed the church and opened fire on the congregation. The attackers started shooting sporadically. They shot through the window of the church. Many people were killed, including my wife. Isn't that something? Why would God allow that? Why does man do that? Being a Christian for us here is not like that. And being a Christian in Rome, when Paul writes, is a bit like that. They had reason not to hope. And yet, they faced hostility with a tangible hope and Rome fell and the Christian faith spread throughout the whole world. We all, every one of us, every one of us have circumstances that are hard to live with. You might be ill. You are starting chemotherapy. You have children who are rebellious. Your business is terrible. Your relationships are superficial. But you thank God because you want him to change. You. That's what it is to be joyful in hope. To regain spontaneity. In other words... I have the long view of where I am. And whilst my circumstances are hard, they will change too. But God is faithful. God is faithful. I can be, I should be, I hope I will be, joyful in hope. The Christian takes the long view. Secondly, to be joyful in hope is to cultivate spontaneity. To be patient in affliction, which, by the way, implies that we're going to have it. So affliction may well be the normal part of our Christian lives. How strange it is, the way that we react as if this should never happen to us. We are to be patient in affliction. In other words, here, and this is, this is so important, you will make a choice. If you are going to be patient in affliction, you will choose to be vulnerable. None of us like that. We like to be in control. But the opposite 
of not choosing to be vulnerable is this. You are not going to get involved with people. You will not be involved. Yes, you'll be polite. Yes, you'll say things. And, but you're not going to get involved. You've been hurt, so you don't want to get hurt again. You've been vulnerable. You say, no, thank you. If we are going to be patient in affliction, we choose to be vulnerable because the opposite is to be detached and uninvolved. Involvement with people is the essence of love. Think about it like this. Love your spouse. And you'll have a happy marriage. Love your children and you'll have a happy home. Love your colleagues at work and you will be fulfilled in what you do. Love life and you will be blessed. If only now, there's the thing. If only is the opposite to love. It's the opposite to love. If only, let's go through the list in a different way. If only my partner were more attractive. If only my children were more appreciative. If only my colleagues were more friendly and trustworthy. If only I earned more, achieved more. If only is the toxic to happiness. Why? Well, if it isn't obvious already, for this reason as well, it focuses on what we don't have instead of focusing on what we do have. If only is the worst investment in the whole of life. And it should not be in our Christian vocabulary. So, I am now going to be patient in affliction. And if I do that, I will get involved. I will get involved. Lastly, be faithful in prayer. And here's a choice again. I am going to accept accountability. I am going to be prayerfully accountable. The opposite is to be unfaithful in prayer. Faithful in prayer. Accept prayerful accountability. The opposite, to be unfaithful in prayer. We try to put it like this. Let's think about prayer for a moment. Try to look at it in a slightly different way than perhaps we are familiar with. Prayer is our dialogue with the Almighty. Let's talk to God, if you like. 
And the finest collection of prayers is the book of Psalms. The Psalms of Lament identify with us in all the cruelty and the hardship of life. And they come alive in our experience. It is so hard to keep praying. And that is why in the middle of the Bible we have our prayer book. The finest collection of prayers you could have. These prayers seem to embrace the whole spectrum of feeling, relating, despair, and jubilation. Prayer is like that. Prayer is to the soul what exercise is to the body. And we can so easily become spiritually flabby. Now some people don't pray. Some evangelical Christians have given up on prayer. They don't pray. They say, well, I tried it and it didn't work. I asked God and he said no. What folk like that forget is this. Prayer is best done, not only, but best done in the company of others. Yes, there's a place for going in, shutting the door and praying to God and so on. Of course, that's not the only way. Take this with you now. Prayer is best done in the company of others. If you like, often, and in this country we are blessed with great places where prayer is unceasing. Churches, chapels, buildings, places, in song. The language of the soul as it reaches out towards, if you like, the unknowable and the unsayable, prayer is like that. If you like, prayer is more of a choral expression than a solo. It's choral, it's collective, not singular, not individual. That's what our prayers are like. Now then, to be faithful in prayer is faithful with each other as we are in song. As we, if you like, in the language of the Bible, in step with the Spirit. And we resonate with one another. And some of you have never known this, ever. You could live dangerously this year and say, I think I'll try the Thursday prayer meeting. Just try it, see what happens. Or I'll come next Saturday and I'll listen to others pray and I will pray. Why not? Why not be faithful in prayer in the collective accountability? When did somebody last say to you, uh, missed you at prayer? Well, chances are it's a long time because you're not there. Now, of course, any preacher can make people feel guilty about prayer. I feel guilty myself. That's not the purpose of what I'm saying. But it is our verse for the year. And we are called to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Faithful in prayer. Let me close. Uh, if you read the paper yesterday, there was a full middle spread with Alistair McGrath, Professor Alistair McGrath, on uh, the genius of 
C.S. Lewis and uh, how people are reading his work more than ever before. But this is, was his observation, indeed as a bachelor at the time, in his book called The Four Loves. And this is the context of the verses. And he says this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and anyone and your heart will certainly be run and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one ever, not even an animal. You are to wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements with people, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be vulnerable and it will never be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. Well, it speaks for itself, doesn't it? The context of love, of love. 